so I don't forget. I'm, I'm always tired. No matter what I do, I'm just always tired. <laughs> I love awesome. the Oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's so nice to finally e meet you. No, same here. Oh my gosh, thanks for uh, thanks for wanting to talk to me. Of course. Um, so just as introduction, uh, Shoshana Weissman. Yeah. Weissman. Um, and you are social media and, and lots and uh, comms and lots of things at R Street Institute, but you just got a new title, right? Oh yeah, I'm now digital director. I've kind of like functionally been it for a while. We just have a bureaucracy, which sounds bad, especially for people who are like lean libertarian and stuff, but it's good. It's, we have a system that we go up and stuff. Um, I was once digital director when I was 24 at another organization. Um, so it's good to be back in it and to like head it. And uh, now I'll have two employees under me. So it's exciting. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, and you're a sloth aficionado as well as I am as well. <laughs> I'm glad it. you like sloths too. They're the best. And yeah, I'm also an associate fellow at the Sloth Institute, which is something I wormed my way into. <laughs> That's amazing. What are your duties? So um, initially it was like just joking. I was like, can I become an associate fellow? Because it'd be really funny if I was. And then, um, and I'm like, look, I'll promote you. Like if there's anything I can do. And they're like, actually, we need someone with US government experience. So uh, right now I'm working for them uh, to put together a database on um, every sloth for commercial use in America. There's no way to find out for personal use. Um, but uh, I'm working on that actually through the Lemus database. Once that's released, I'll be able to categorize that for them. And uh, But yeah, right now I have a spreadsheet of every sloth in every zoo in America, every sloth in a facility that like sells sloths and stuff like that. So um, I made the database and now they're checking my data. And once that's done, um, I'll, uh, I'll have a big report out. <laughs> that's amazing. I love Thank it. Thank you. I have fun. <laughs> so tell me about, I know that you focus a lot on occupational licensure reform, um, but what are some of your other policy areas of interest? Yeah, so licensing reform is my love. It's just, you know, the way regulation is going to hurt people is something I really care about that I want. You know, I have no issues with regulations broadly, but, you know, like with everything you want to make sure it does its job and it's not hurting people more than it helps. Um, I'm also really into Section 230. I uh, never thought I'd get into that, but it's my love of digital media and my love of regulatory reform where I'm like, oh, why would we put all this liability on these people uh, and make it so they have to punish speech or that speech gets drowned in a sea of spam? So it, it um, and when I joined R Street, we were working on it and I didn't really care, but one day it just clicked for me and I fell in love with it. Um, so I do a little antitrust too, because a lot of times people conflate antitrust in section 230. I'm not like the top, top expert on it, but I have, you know, I have vibes around antitrust. Um, and then, uh, so veggie burger policy, like when governments try to say, oh, you can't call that a burger. It's not meat because burger is like a type of meat. Apparently it's not a type of meat um, or almond milk, uh, cauliflower rice, all that stuff. Um, it's just whatever, whatever, when, when I vibe, whatever, whenever the mood strikes, um, I'll pick up a new policy area, but most of it's just regulatory. It's about uh, making sure that compliance isn't insane, that people can start reasonable businesses and live their lives. Um, but yeah, man, I never thought that regulatory reform would be like my love, but that's where I live. <laughs> you know, one thing I really love about it, and this is where I think you and I really vibe is, or at least I vibe with, with what I know of you online, is that 
what frustrates me is that I want to get the left more involved in where is the government perpetrating upwards power transfers, right? Um, And all of these are areas where the government is taking from people who have less power and giving to people who have more um, unearned, unfair advantages. So yeah, I really, I really vibe with all of that and appreciate the work that you're doing. And so I wanted, of course, yeah, I wanted to talk to you today specifically. I've been writing a lot about um, native born men um, in the U.S. and things that I've noticed just reading about sex and gender. That's kind of my jam. Um, I mean, I'm also into regulations, but, uh, you know, I also like to talk about, you know, what's the future of marriage in America with the present of, of sex and all that. And, um, so what we're seeing is a bunch of trends that may or may not relate to each other. So you've got a large cohort of young American native born men who are not in education, employment, or training. They're neat. Um, you have uh, declining uh, marriage rates, um, you have declining fertility rates, you have uh, declining um, um, economic mobility rates, um, you have declining geographic mobility, um, you have costs rising on the things that people, you know, their big purchases, cars, houses, education, healthcare, Um, You've got resentment politics, grievance politics, um, nativism, um, you know, rising fascism. Uh, And so what I'm curious about is, you know, what are some potential policy fixes to some of these problems? You know, first and foremost, like, how do we get young native born American men into something productive with their days? Um, And what are the unnecessary unnecessary government barriers to getting them activated. Yeah, a lot of this resonates with my work. And I've, I've started to read about the subject. Like, I want to say, and I might be totally wrong, but I think it was Spain um, where I read about that there's like a lot of guys who just play video games all day and live right. with their parents. But like, it's almost become a cultural thing where like, that's like a class of men there. And I know that there's like similar, but different, but similar kinds of trends in different parts of Europe and Japan and stuff like that. So I read about it. I want to say it was Aziz's book and like some other books too. Um, so I just, I enjoy learning about this stuff. So it's funny you mentioned because it crosses my mind from time to time. But yeah, so um, like you're talking about with geographic mobility, it's like a huge indicator of uh, economic mobility. If you can move somewhere to get a better job, that's like a really big deal. Um, and occupational licensing decreases that um, there's fixes, even with, um, you know, let's assume that all licensing's totally okay, no matter what. Um, even if that's the case, you still want licenses to be able to move. So in um, 2019, Governor Ducey in Arizona made uh, Arizona the first state to have universal licensing recognition. It's not perfect. There's improvements that can be made, but um, basically if you move to Arizona, your license can transfer. There's a process and it's been working really well. And that's how it should work. That if you go somewhere new, your license should transfer. Um, So I think that's one really big thing that we need more of. Um, There's 20, almost 20 states have some variation of it. Some states have a residency requirement, which I don't think should exist. Some don't, you know, it kind of varies, but you want to increase that mobility. And if someone has a license in one place, it should be fine in another. It's funny, you'll always hear these lobbies say, oh, well, electricians from their state are not like electricians in ours or doctors in their states. It's nonsense. It's all nonsense. Um, I'm also very big on compacts because it allows people to work in multiple states at a time a little bit better than recognition in certain cases. Although compacts can also encourage people 
to um, increase licensing standards, not because of safety, but because, well, they do it like this. So we want to be on par. And that's something to be cautious of. But generally, like, if a license exists, you want it to be mobile. So I think that's something that's really good and can help with that mobility. Um, also, just barriers to entry like all licenses whether or not they're good and make sense are barriers to entry and you want to reduce them as much as is reasonably possible and will protect people like I'm chill with doctors licenses but I also think immigrants who are doctors and move here should have a shot at being doctors um in so many cases they have to start their training over from like zero repeat residencies whether or not their training's up to par with ours we just don't have good systems for transferring them in so you want to reduce all barriers as much as makes sense um you know, um, expand scope of practice, allow pharmacists to give more shots, stuff like that. Um, and uh, and then figure out what makes sense. Like, you know, cosmetologists will, will scream till the end of time that you need to have a license to protect people against disease. Well, salons spread infection at crazy rates. Um, every study out there just shows it's like very, very high rates of infection. So maybe health inspections are a better barrier. So you're not just, you know, saying, oh, here's your license, but hey, let's check in. Let's make sure this is all safe. Just like with food safety, same deal that there's sometimes lower barriers are more effective. So reducing barriers as much as is reasonably possible and also making sure you're not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is something in my personal life, I'm really bad about. I'm such a perfectionist, but that can be bad. Like there's this great uh, data. I think it's from the Department of Labor, but uh, the Mercatus Institute did like a great uh, piece about it. And basically um, it might make sense to license electricians. Like that, that's something that I think could be reasonable, but the data shows that where electricians are licensed, there's lower supply and people try their hand at it themselves, which is way worse than a guy who's like learned about electricity and all of that kind of stuff and how to work with it. So there's unintended consequences. And I think you have to like, you know, study this stuff, compare states without licenses with licenses and see what works best and try to reduce barriers as much as reasonably possible. Um, also there's college education stuff. Like I don't work on this, but I have a friend who does, who does great work here. Like ROI of college is really bad. And a lot of, uh, for a lot of degrees at a lot of universities, you have negative lifetime ROI. That's horrible. We shouldn't be forcing people into these programs or say, oh, you need a degree to do something that functionally doesn't really require a degree. Like, yeah, you know, get rid of all these barriers. For sure. And, and I wanted to ask you as well, like, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. My big question is like, how much is it really going to matter? And so I want to ask you that, but then I'm going to ask you something more specific first, which is that- sure. We also have a huge, we have a bunch of neat men and a huge um, dearth of construction labor and also trade labor. And, and I want you to shed any insight you might have on why this mismatch exists, what barriers there are to getting these neat men into these uh, trade and construction jobs. Oh yeah, I mean those are the licensed professions. Um, there's, It's not unusual that uh, you don't just need to be licensed in like one type of manual labor, but several types in order to perform mm -hmm. a job. Um, and, you know, there's, I'm not against it in all cases, but maybe you just need one person license to oversee the rest, or maybe you need less training. You just want to make sure that the training is being effective and that that's mm -hmm. solving the problem. If it's not solving the problem, or if there's an easier way to get from point A to B, we should be looking into that. Um, also, a lot of times I see construction jobs uh, justified by like, oh, well, what if they skip out of town with your money after you've paid them? But there's a lower barrier. You don't need training not to skip out of town with someone's money. You need mandatory registration and just say, hey, all his tax information is here. All her information is here. So right. if let's say she leaves town, 
with your money, we can find her. Like, and you, you know, you have all this information. Um, there's, there's all different barriers that are a lot lower. So yeah, I mean, th those are, those are professions that are highly licensed. Um, and it's different barriers in college and, and degrees and stuff, but they're still barriers and it still makes sense to, you know, lower them as much as possible, increase apprenticeships so people can learn on the job, not um, have all this opportunity cost time where they're not making money or they're not, you know, learning the real trade. Totally, totally. Um, and I'm poor planning on my part, but my computer's about to run out of battery. So uh, any last thoughts on the topic at hand and then where can people find more of your brilliant thoughts online? Oh, you're so sweet. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so um, uh, uh, twitter.com slash Senator Shoshana is where I post everything I'm thinking ever from mountains to sloths to hiking. Um, and no, I really like the perspective you're looking at it from. And I think it's something that mm -hmm. people don't often tie together, the education requirements and the, um, and you know, where, where young men at or where young men are at in life. I think it's something that we're not really thinking about all the time in, in occupational licensing reform world, but it's something that I'm glad that you're thinking about. Same. Yeah. I really appreciate your work. And, um, it was so nice to finally speak to you after following you on a, uh, from afar for such a long time. I highly recommend following, uh, Senator Shoshana on Twitter. She's, she's a great follow and thank you so much for your time. And, um, I'd love to have you on again. Uh, when yes, I've got... I would love that. awesome. Great. Uh, have a great rest of your day and I will speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too.